Good evening and thank you for joining us at 7 o'clock. I'm Gerald Owens. And I'm Deborah Morgan. The message is clear from state leaders today. We remain hopeful that the trends will be stable enough to move us into phase one next week. My message today is to stay vigilant. One of the areas of concern, nursing facilities. Today we learned of a third outbreak in Wake County at the Capitol Nursing and Rehab Center in Raleigh. This half hour, David Crabtree talks live with the president of the North Carolina AARP about the disturbing trends in senior citizen cases. We will also have exclusive insight from our WRL data trackers into those trends and what they mean for all of us as we inch closer to the first phase of reopening. But first, we begin with Mark Boyle in the Live Center with an update on the cases in our area. Mark. Gerald, you know, these new trends that we're seeing, the new numbers are coming from the counties. Durham County releasing new information within the past 15 minutes. One new COVID-19 related death, several new cases of COVID-19, 733 total cases to date there in Durham County. Also in Durham County, one of the spaces and areas where Walgreens is going to be rolling out testing starting tomorrow. This is the information a lot to get through right here, but it all begins tomorrow at a Walgreens on Guest Road. There's the address. 3798 Guest Road in Durham. Now, you can't just go there and show up. You have to go to this website, draw your attention right here in the center of this monitor, walgreens.com slash COVID-19 testing. You'll fill out a form, see if you can go through the process, and that will put you in the queue, again, starting tomorrow. Thank you, Mark. The past 24 hours brought the biggest one day jump in cases to date in North Carolina. Not a surprise as we have increased testing. Today, Dr. Mandy Cohen pointed out the outlook is hopeful in terms of overall downward trends. WRL's data trackers use the information from counties to track the average number of daily cases in the state over time. We saw this number jump to 414 over the past 24 hours. Taking a look at the number of deaths, the daily average currently sits at 14 which is trending down. As the governor and state leaders give us new hope of implementing phase one, there is a group of restaurant owners urging him and other leaders not to partially reopen. WRL's Durham reporter Sarah Kruger asked them today why they're so reluctant. About 40 restaurant owners from around the state, many of them from right here in Durham, are urging Governor Cooper not to reopen restaurant dining rooms until he can do so at full capacity. The restaurant owners say opening up their dining rooms at only partial capacity would be worse financially than their current model of takeout and delivery. Sean Stokes, who owns Luna, says it would require hiring more staff, but they don't think it would result in the revenue to back that up. If we were to open for uh, open dining with you know a, a half the capacity or a reduced capacity, we're going to generate less revenue than we're generating right now. And so, and at the same time, our labor costs are going to increase. So we're gonna have higher costs and less revenue. The letter was sent to Governor Cooper and other local and state elected officials. It's signed by some of the biggest names in the local restaurant industry. The names who have signed on are people who have won you know, James Beard Awards, national awards and recognition. Elizabeth Turnbull with COPA in downtown Durham says they got an encouraging response from Durham's mayor. They're hopeful the governor will hear them too. We need politicians to listen to the business owners about how we can 
reopen. The restaurant owners also told me they're concerned that a partial reopening of the dining rooms would eliminate any demand for pickup and delivery, so they don't think it would be effective to do both, and they would rather stick with just takeout and delivery until they can fully reopen. Sarah Kruger, WRAL News, Durham. The president used today's briefing to urge Americans to come together to support our nation's seniors by declaring the month of May Older Americans Month. Our country could not be anything near where it is without our incredible seniors. We'll show them the same love and loyalty they've shown us and they've shown our nation every day of their lives. The president pledged support from his administration to help nursing homes after seeing disturbing trends in cases at those facilities. Here is a look at the latest death numbers from WRL's digital team at senior living facilities in our area. Lewisburg Healthcare and Rehab Center in Franklin County with 14. Pruitt Health Carolina Point in Orange County with 11. Durham Nursing and Rehab with 7. Springbrook Nursing in Johnston County with 7. And Wellington Rehab and Healthcare in Wake County with 7 deaths. And while our WRL data trackers monitor those cases, they are also monitoring the trends among certain age groups, along with the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. Take a look at the numbers to give you a better idea. The state reports that 24%, nearly one in four, positive cases in our state are adults over 65. As of this morning, this is just under 2,300 people. Now, let's look at the death rates. An overwhelming majority, 87% of the deaths reported in North Carolina are people over 65 making the fatality rate for those over 65 in North Carolina just under 14%. And we know the numbers are tough to break down. They're coming at us almost at warp speed. So if you take anything else away from what you just saw, know that it is more difficult for people over the age of 65, such as myself, to fully recover. Chances are we all have loved ones in this age group as well. And joining us now to talk about the issues and how to move forward, Dr. Catherine Sevier, the president of the AARP of North Carolina. Dr. Sevier, thanks for talking with us. Thank you for having me. Let's begin with the president's comments today. What do you take away from that? Well, I take away from that that we're going to all enjoy celebrating Older Americans Month. Um, and I also take away that we still have work to do. Uh, and Governor Cooper today said, stay the course and let's find our way forward. If we are flattening the curve, which it sounds like we are, that's great news, um, but we still have work to do. You know, Dr. Sevier, again, I want to go back to that number of 65 and older. Uh, it seems that we are living longer, many of us staying in better health longer than we used to. I would like to think my baseline is higher than many people at age 65, but there's no way to really know that if this were to hit us and impact our lungs. That's true. Uh, what we do know is that, that we are more at risk once we're older, uh, and many of us have chronic diseases that put us at higher risk, things like high blood pressure, diabetes, um, immune system problems where we, we just don't have the resistance we had when we were younger. So that makes us more vulnerable. Let's talk about nursing homes. Two major issues here. Let's begin with this one. The cases and the number of outbreaks in the state. What do you make of this? Well, we know that, that what's been happening nationwide and certainly North Carolina has not been different in that 
is that nursing homes are extremely vulnerable because we have so many people at high risk in close quarters. Um, and one of the things that we have a responsibility to do is to make sure that um, the nursing homes have the resources they need, the protective equipment, that they have the ability to test, um, and that we also can stay in touch with them um, so that if we have a family member in a nursing home, we really know what's going on with them, that they're still getting um, the care and the opportunity to, um, to reach out to us in any ways that they can. You one know, of the things, go ahead. No, you go ahead, I'm sorry. I was gonna say, one of the things we've been very passionate about here uh, in North Carolina is the opportunity to create virtual visitation. Uh, we believe that staying in touch is critical for that person who's isolated and for that family who really needs to know that their family member um, doesn't feel deserted. Um, and desertion is a, a really uh, real problem for people that are in nursing homes already. Yeah, desertion and isolation. So virtual visits are great, but my gosh, if my parents were still alive and in a nursing home now and I couldn't get to them to even be in the same room with them. So there are a lot of viewers out there who are in that situation now. How do you encourage them? Well, we encourage them to be active participants in their family members' care, even if they can't physically be with them. Um, by identifying a family member who really is that person's advocate and making contact with the nursing home, setting up regular ongoing communications with them, asking for virtual visitation, um, and then doing everything that we can from the outside to monitor what's going on. Um, and we encourage people to be, you know, to be the best advocate they can be for their family member. So I speak up and, and, and let them know that, that we're caring about them. Yeah, I can't imagine the amount of tears that have already been shed over that. Let's shift yeah. gears here for just a moment. You're a seasoned health professional. One issue we have heard from hospitals across the state here in the Triangle, a cardiologist today pointed it out again, people continue to ignore other health, health issues, not going to the hospital out of fear they may be exposed. How do you knock down that fear? Well, you, you knock down that fear by checking in with your regular practitioner and saying, how can I get the care that I need now? Um, I'm afraid to put it off. Um, also using your own protective um, uh, equipment, uh, masks to go to visit, um, but asking them, advocating for yourself and saying, I can't wait because I have some health problems that I am feeling or, or needing attention today. Well, let's hope people will take that advice because we know that uh, hospital census is down. People aren't going, people aren't getting care that they might otherwise need simply out of fearing the worst. So Dr. Catherine Sevier with AARP of North Carolina, we really appreciate your time and insight tonight. Stay healthy. Thank you so much. Okay, we have a quick uh, clarification on an earlier number. We told you there are actually six deaths reported at the Wellington facility in Wake County. WRO's team of data trackers is committed to bringing you updated numbers and perspective as we try to stop the spread. In addition to the number of cases, we're also tracking testing, hospitalizations, and recovery trends. You can also see a county-by-county -county breakdown. You'll find this exclusive content on WRAL.com 
and our news app. Still ahead, an alarming link between what's outside and how it could make fighting COVID-19 even more challenging. Coming up on WRAL, why the government's response to this study is under fire and what a local scientist is doing to push back on the decision announced today. You're watching coverage you can count on with WRAL News. The coronavirus has shaken the global energy system. The International Energy Agency says the system hasn't seen this much disruption since World War II. Data from the agency shows demand for all fossil fuels fell, resulting in a record-setting yearly drop in carbon emissions. Global CO2 emissions are also expected to drop by nearly 8% this year. A study out of Harvard is linking severe cases of coronavirus with air pollution. Despite this, the EPA is not planning to tighten regulations against certain pollutants. WRL's Mandy Mitchell spoke with a local scientist leading a charge against the decision. Every five years, the Environmental Protection Agency decides just how many tiny particles can be in our air and still be safe for humans. These particles are linked to cardiovascular and respiratory disease and come from things like power plants and wildfires. The current standard leads to thousands of premature deaths a year. Somewhere between about 13,000 to 51,000 people die prematurely. So scientists wanted to see this changed. They argued reducing these particle pollutants would lead to fewer deaths. NC State professor Chris Frey is one of those scientists and was all set to advise the EPA last year. But the panel he was part of was dismissed by the Trump administration. And that was before the coronavirus outbreak, which is now shining a brighter light on pollution, and public health. Some preliminary indication that um, the joint exposure together at the same time of air pollution and this um, virus is more harmful. The EPA administrator says there are still a lot of uncertainties with the science and he believes the current level is protective of public health. Fred disagrees, especially in light of the pandemic, which has targeted some of the same groups that pollution affects. There's no way to acknowledge those at-risk groups and also reasonably argue that the current standard is, is adequate. The EPA is now accepting public comment about the issue before it finalizes its decision. Mandy Mitchell, WRL News, Raleigh. You're watching coverage you can count on with WRL News. Changes are now visible at Duke Regional Hospital's emergency department. Nurse Ashley Wheeler shows us in her video blog update you will only see on WRAL. That's good. So I think the ER is back to being the ER again. We are still seeing lower than normal census as far as total numbers of patients, but um, we are full most of the day. Uh, we had a really super busy afternoon with lots and lots of ER presentations, multiple code stroke presentations. We had um, quite a lot of critical care. And some of it was potentially related to COVID. Uh, a lot of it was just normal ER stuff and the COVID component was mainly just ruling it out um, or going down the line and, and figuring out if that was something that was indicated to do more testing. I am standing next to our wonderful respiratory tent 
that we um, had the privilege of using for the last several weeks. We've actually been able to um, put that on hold and move that operation back inside the building because the numbers were looking better for, um, for those types of presentations. And then behind me, of course, is our new construction. Um, in the middle of all this, they are continuing to build a new inpatient psychiatric building and a new uh, a portion of it is, is gonna be the new ER um, waiting area and kind of front of the ER. And the inside of the building, we have a wonderful looking uh, new 13 rooms for critical care that are gonna be open soon. They are um, doing a really good job getting those rooms ready. I think we'll be ready to use them much earlier than projected. So again, I just feel like the um, engineering and leadership has done a really good job of handling, I mean, what is a huge operational ordeal to handle all the COVID adjustments and planning um, and be ready for a surge that may still happen. I mean, we're not, we're definitely not putting down our guard. We're just trying to be thoughtful and use resources appropriately. Um, but in the middle of all that, they've also been doing major construction projects and helping to get us resources we need to just be a regular old ER. So I think this week it has seemed like COVID presentations are continuing. It's definitely still uh, something out there in the community. We have some people that are coming in for complications from known diagnoses already, uh, but the ER is being quite ER-like. Uh, this afternoon, the last two hours is pretty much uh, we're very used to it, but it's, I've always kind of thought of it like when you are at the beach and you uh, get in the waves a little bit and you get knocked over and a wave hits you and before you can even really get your feet under you, there's another one and another one, another one. So we're used to that, but it's still really challenging because we just got a bunch of really sick people kind of all in the same hour. So we have to, make plans and um, figure out what to do. But we're good at it. We're just trying to get used to it again. We had a little break where uh, the numbers were down and I think we're getting back to normal. How do you like that insight? Anecdotal, one hospital, but some really good news there from nurse Ashley Wheeler, who has been video blogging for WRL for several weeks now. We thank her and Duke for the access. We also want to highlight some other heroes receiving some well-deserved praise as we look past the outbreak. I think to a person, everyone recognized that this was something we should really get our energy behind and, and, and make it happen. Studies usually take months to get off the ground. And yet this one took a matter of a few days because literally everyone was trying to team together to make it work. Um, that sort of institutional support makes me really proud, to be honest. And then to get a positive result out of the end of it, yeah, that's outstanding. I can't, I can't explain <laughs> the feeling that I have. Uh, it's incredible to be able to go from basic science in the laboratory 
to actually see something go into patients where they can make a difference in their lives. Much, much faster than... How exciting. Dr. Cameron Wolf from Duke and Dr. Ralph Barrick, epidemiologist from the UNC Gillings School of Global Public Health. You've seen a face, his face, several times here right on our news at 7 o'clock. Both of these incredible gentlemen played critical roles along with their labs in the remdesivir breakthrough. Today, the governor also made sure to acknowledge their achievements. I want to thank the researchers for their work. It shows the importance of strong research and science at our state universities. Still a long way to go to finding a cure, but the governor acknowledging the very hard work and commitment being done right here at home. A lot of people making a difference. Mm -hmm. That's it for our 7 o'clock news. Thanks for watching.